if you look at the shape of the music industry, right? Back mm. in 85 versus today, how it's been flattened out, talent can come from anywhere. It's about making great music less than it's about knowing the right people. Like all those things, I think is going to come to the tech industry as well, right? We've seen some of that over the last five years, but I think as the kind of art of coding becomes more accessible, it's like, well, you know what? Why couldn't you be this eight person company sitting somewhere in, you know, Norway or Denmark or something like that and create something absolutely amazing? This Week in Startups is brought to you by Crowdbotics. Great ideas can change the world. And Crowdbotics is the fastest way to turn those ideas into code. Get a free scoping session for your next big app idea at crowdbotics.com slash twist. Coda is the all-in-one doc for teams. And they just introduced an AI-powered assistant to take the busy out of the work. Sign up to use Coda AI today at coda.io slash twist. And LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash next unicorn. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. Big, big surprise for you. Today is the start of the fifth season of a series we call The Next Unicorns. And what is The Next Unicorns? This is where we find companies that have raised their Series B round. Let's say they've got some really great traction. Maybe they have market pull. And we just think as an editorial team, the producers here, uh, some of the investment team uh, might make suggestions. This company's got a shot at becoming a unicorn. What's a unicorn? In Silicon Valley, it's a company that's worth over a billion dollars. Now, you probably heard that we went a little crazy during the boom period of 2019, 2020, and 2021, and just gave a lot of companies very high valuations. Some of them are now zombie corns, uh, as we've talked about on the All In podcast a couple times. Maybe. Uh, the companies didn't e actually have product market fit. In other words, the product and the customers uh, were in sync and there was a market for this product or a market pull. When customers are searching to get themselves a Tesla, an Uber or an Airbnb because they heard about it from their friends and the product is so good that you have market pull. In other words, you don't even have to do marketing. People are just calling you up and you're taking orders as a company. Putting all that aside, I'm really excited about today's guest because he's been working on um making virtual ai based versions of humans yeah, you could cynically call it deep fakes uh that is the negative framing of this or you could say these are alternative versions of yourself and there's a ton of upside and we're going to get into the downsides the upsides in uh this dual use technology could be used a dual use technology could be used for good or bad just like humans can choose the path of darkness the path of light you could be darth vader you could be luke skywalker you could be a supervillain, Lex Luthor, you could be Superman. Uh, and uh, the technology of AI is no different. It is a dual use, dual fate technology, if you will. And so we uh, have a great guest, Victor Ripperbelly is on the program. He's the co-founder and CEO of Synthesia, spelled S-N-Y-T-H-E-S-I-A. Welcome to the program, Victor. Thank you, Jason. Excited to be here. Uh, Synthesia is how it's pronounced, correct? Synthesia. Synthesia, yeah. okay. And... Uh, paradoxically we invite you on the program to come on the next unicorns and then uh you of course make us one for one this season because uh, we like to track <laughs> how we do this is our fifth season you can see all of the episodes at this week in startups.com slash next unicorns uh this week in startups.com slash next unicorns to see the the other four seasons but you're the first guest on the fifth season and since we invited you <laughs> you actually closed around at a billion dollar valuation 90 million dollar series c at a one billion dollar valuation congratulations on that who led the round Thank you. Excel led the round with participation oh, okay. from NVIDIA. 
Oh, okay. So NVIDIA uh, is investing in startups that are in the AI space because uh, they're making the chips, they're making the infrastructure. Do you need to buy these chips yourself? Or are you able to just use a cloud provider who has those chips? I'm curious. No, so we definitely use cloud providers. I don't think for yes. us as a business, it makes sense to, to go that deep in the stack. Um, mm. NVIDIA is, is a great partner. I think most people think of NVIDIA as the ones that make the GPUs and the chips, which of course is their main line of business for sure. Yep. I think what's less well known is actually that NVIDIA does a lot of fundamental research, especially around like media technologies, so generative video, speech, text mm. for that matter. And they're one of the world's best research teams um, and a big part of innovation for us to get closer to NVIDIA. It's actually less on just like the GPU and the chips, but these guys are doing really amazing fundamental work in, in a lot of the technologies that, that we're also developing, right? So um, I, think, I think that's one of the big angles for us to get closer to NVIDIA. And so you started this back in March of 2017, and uh, the business was, I believe, in the early days, your goal was to make a virtual avatar, not necessarily of a real person, but um, in order to do maybe say customer support. So you go to a website or you go to a kiosk. Is that correct? Is that where you started? Was that the first use case? Well, sort of. I think I think just so we started the company back in in, in twenty seventeen, right? And um, I think we kind of did what you're supposed to not do. We started with a technology, and then we tried to find you know out what we could solve with this technology. This is very very early in what's now called generative AI, right? But the, the key idea was the same as it is today. We want to make it easy for people to make video content, not by making smaller cameras, not by making slightly better video editing apps, but by actually building technology to eventually replace the entire physical production process, right? So that's sort mm. of like that's the vision. That's where we want to go goes much further than just the avatars we have today. Um, the first three years of the company, I'd say, is like the wilderness period. We're kind of building the tech, figuring out if it worked or not. We kind of got into the service business of doing AI dubbing. So some of those who've known us for a while may have seen the David Beckham thing, the Snoop Dogg thing we did, where we made essentially celebrities speak in different languages. Um, and this was like a great learning path for us. Mm. But what we figured out was that that was a service business. It was a visual effects type of tool, but was actually much more interesting than selling to Hollywood and creative people. It's like there's billions of people in the world who are desperate to make video content, but they can't today, right? They don't have the skills. They don't have the budget for it. And all these people, they're actually okay with the quality threshold going down a little bit from a real camera if it's a thousand times easier and a thousand times more affordable, right? Um, and that sort of, that insight is what led us to then launch our self-service text-to-video platform that we operate today with the world's biggest. We launched that in the summer of 2020. And since mm. then, it's just been uh, an absolute fairy tale of going really quickly and just delivering tons of value to our customers. And it's again, it's less about this sort of video as you know it. It's actually more about replacing text for our customers, right? That, that's what they're primarily, primarily uses for. So uh, in that case, it's not necessarily to make, uh, you know, a young Indiana Jones or Luke Skywalker and have them do a new adventure. You're not trying to compete with Disney. The goal here is, hey, I was going to write some materials here, some training materials, or I was a professor doing a lecture or I'm uh, writing some um, message to all of the, I don't know, uh, franchisees in my Jiffy Lube franchise network. Yeah. And I can Sorry. type it in text, but have a human, a synthetic human, uh, a replicant, speak to the people on the other end. So if I was uh, the manager and the franchisee of this Jiffy Lube, and you said, hey, here's our new pricing, instead of just sending them a text document, they could, they could watch it. Was Is that the customer base, those kind of applications that I described? 100%. That's very yeah. enterprise focused. We work with 36% of the Fortune 100 today. And give you two very real examples, right? So let's say you're one of the world's 
largest fast food companies, you're onboarding and training millions of people to work in your restaurants okay. every single year. Mm-hmm. What they used to do, they'd have a 40-page handbook. You'd send that to the employee. They'd sort of attempt to read it, remember absolutely nothing, and be much less prepared to go into that job where they actually hit a restaurant. Mm. Now what they can do is they can make that into a video, which is in the native language of whoever is watching that video. Oh, that So that it works in 120 different languages. So that in itself is a massive unlock. But then the really, really big unlock that's kind of the false multiplier is that our product is extremely easy to use, right? So if you mm. know how to make a PowerPoint slide, you'll be able to use some easier. So now the same Got people it. who used to write that 40-page handbook, they can make the videos, right? Got so it. So you don't need a video editor. So just uh, if we just pause no. there for a second, because what you said is profound. I am this, you know, uh, international fast food company. And uh, I got people in France. I got people in Japan. And uh, if I was going to make this 40-page training manual, I would then send it to a company that would translate it, make a local copy of it. And then people would pretend to read it. And exactly. then... The French fries uh, or the milkshakes would come out terrible because people didn't pick up those points. Instead, you can take that manual, the same person can write a script, and the CEO of that company, or the founder even, could come on and speak to the person. And then there's all kinds of technology to make sure there's compliance that people are watching if they open another window. I know this, like if you ever took a driver's test, or any kind of test, I recently went through this for like, um, joining, um, scouts previously known as boy scouts of america had to do background um tests and it was like a three-hour course and if you at one point i accidentally put another browser window on top to pause it so here you have an enterprise thing where any new person can hear directly from the ceo why it's important to get the fries right and how to do that and you can make sure there's compliance and that's one person's job Exactly. And it reaches and millions of people i mean that, that's just insane when you think of the leverage there that would normally have cost them god it would have to cost them 10 tens of thousands of dollars per region across 40 languages you'd be talking about a couple yeah. million bucks and now it's going to cost ten thousand dollars and let me give you i think one one of the really core insights we had early on with this was that what you just described here is kind of the front end of producing content right it's like cameras actors studios executives mm-hmm. who don't know how to perform in front of a camera all that stuff in itself is, is incredibly time consuming and expensive right but then what we figured out is actually also that, okay, so let's say you actually did that, right? You want to make this into a video because you know it's much more effective. Then what happens in every single business is two months later, there's a business policy that changes, the pricing changes, you change your POS system, something like that. Now you're screwed, right? Because all your video material is completely out of date. What's beautiful about this type of video production, right, mm. is that you can just open up the file again, edit it, change the script, and you can you know feed that into all the other languages. So I really think that it's very early, right? But this is as profound as going from using a typewriter where you're producing something that's sort of hard-coded, hard-baked, like you would with a camera or a microphone, into something that's more like a Word document, right? Open it up, edit it, duplicate it, send it to someone else. Our platform is collaborative, so we have real-time collaborations coming out next month or so, Teams, workspaces, kind of like using PowerPoint or like using Miro or something like that, but the output is just video, right? And I think that's what we're seeing is just that the value in the enterprise it's just like through the roof. I'll give you another cool example. Let's say you're one of the world's biggest software companies. We have 4,000 AEs all around the world. You need to keep these folks Account updated executives, on. executives, salespeople, yeah. Excel people, exactly, right? You have to keep these folks updated on like what's happening with the product, what's happening with a competitor's product, pricing, so on. Let's say you have one minute to talk to these people every single day about, you know, these things. You send them a document or something that they have to read on Slack. Most of them will skim it. They'll forget it, right? What you can do instead is like you can make a one-minute video 
we know that information retention is like six, seven, eight times as high when you watch a video as compared to when you read something. So if you take just a simple use case like this, right, the sales enablement team creates video content instead of only written materials for these folks. And you, you, you do this for 4,000 AEs. You really just imagine like just how much value that it has, right? Because you get a much better informed, much better trained sales force. And I think we're still early in these kind of use cases, but this is really just what's, I think that's the reason we've grown so fast over the last few years. All right. We all know the one thing that separates great startups from the good ones is product velocity. What does it mean? Product velocity, fancy term, right? You got your product and you got velocity, speed, the speed in which your product improves. So can you ship updates? Can you release new features? Can you do bug fixes? Can you iterate on the interface? Can you solve problems for your customers? And can you do it quickly? Because you're not alone. You have competitors and your customers have choices. They may fit solve their problems by writing their own custom code, or they might use your solution. This is what startups are about. How fast can you get that product velocity going? And so, you know, how, you, how do you supercharge it? Everybody says, okay, yeah, we want to go faster, but you got to go faster intelligently. And Crowdbotics is going to help you do that. They're your CTO as a service. Basically, they provide you with the most optimal architecture to get your product to market as fast as possible. You'll have access to an on-demand product manager and developer talent, and they will help get your app into production 10 times faster than conventional development. Crowdbotics can work with your in-house dev team, or you can just have them work independently. And you own all the IP, you own all the source code, let the folks at Crowdbotics supercharge your product velocity today, no more waiting, get a free build plan at crowdbotics.com slash twist. That's a $4.99 value just for the twist listeners, you get that for free. That's C-R-O-W-D-B-O-T-I-C-S.com slash twist for a free build plan. So just to recap there, you've eliminated the need to hire a media training person that costs 20, 10, $20,000 a pop to train the host. You've eliminated the host. That costs 10, $20,000 to hire some person. You've hired the lighting, the camera operators, and the set. That's another 50 to 100 grand in my estimation. Because uh, you got to have a location to shoot in as well. It's another 10 grand a day, five grand a day. You got rid of all the translators and you got rid of reshoots while increasing compliance and retention and you've only given up perhaps if this was done in a really really by a very high quality team that spent the quarter million dollars to do it that i just described that's what i would put this kind of shoot at uh, if it was i'm talking about like sure. a full employee handbook you know a couple of hours of content maybe 40 segments or something one per page all you've given up is a little bit of polish on the edges uh, of a great host uh, that might be slightly more compelling um, I wonder in this, do you have the ability to, do you make the full tool of like, here's the quizzes and compliance and making sure that people watch the video, or do you use like third party educational tools and they just export their videos into those? Yeah. So at this point in time, we're not, uh, we're not like doing the kind of last mile delivery, uh, which Got also it. means okay. you don't do the quizzes. You put that in an LMS system, something like that. A learning management system, LMS, learning management system. Exactly. exactly. So yeah, that's incredible. Can you imagine like Microsoft or Salesforce having all these salespeople around the world and every day they just get a video and then it, you know, the learning management system just knows if everybody watched it, if people didn't watch it, they can't uh, do work the next day and their manager gets an email. Hey, this person still hasn't watched the video. This person's three videos behind. Exactly. Uh, that's incredible. And um what do you what would you charge in this situation if without mentioning a specific client, but if you did have that at scale use case, tens of 1000s of AEs, how do you charge 
how much do you charge? What does this cost to do this 40 page manual if you were running, yeah. you know, a burger or a fast food chain or something? So really, uh, our thesis revolves around the idea that, you know, in the future, we're going to be reading much less and we're going to mm. watch and we're going to listen way more, right? And we're basically building our product and pricing structure around that. This is, as I said before, this is really about replacing text in the enterprise. So the way we kind of price the product is proceeds. We really view this as having so many analogies with something like PowerPoint in the early days, right? So it's seed based. Um, that of course depends on like how many seats that you decide to buy. I can enterprise seats plans. Seats on the person creating it or seats on the people receiving it? So right now it's one type of seat um, ah. that you buy. So basically, you, it's kind of like a model, you know, from like Miro or Figma, things like that, right? And um, go in, you have a workspace together. You can uh, invite it. your colleagues. You can leave comments on the videos and all that sort of so stuff. So if you had 20 people in the training organization, hey, you know, you, you, you pay, what, $300 a year, $400 a year per person, something like that, 25 bucks uh, a month? A bit more than that. I think a, a oh. plan like would probably land at around 40, 50K dollars a year. Oh, oh okay, great. So mm -hmm. it's a couple yeah. thousand per person. So this is high-end software in the in like the Salesforce category, a couple thousand yeah, per person yeah. per year. Uh, so for 40, 50, whatever, for 50K a year, you can not have to do all these shoots and everything. All right, let's, let's do a demo here. Let's do a demo here. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And just to not scare people off, if you had the personal plan uh, on the website, it says 30 bucks a month, 270 a year. So I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sorry, I left that out, right? So it's a traditional kind of, you know, product-led motion. So you can go in, you can even make a video for free on the website. Uh, or you can sign up for a thirty dollars plan, which you'll kind of get to get familiar with, um, with with the platform, and then the enterprise offers a bunch of, of other All features. Right, so here we are. We're looking at like a PowerPoint ish, Notion ish interface yep. with a bunch of projects and templates that you can pick from an office interior, an inspirational talk, whatever it is. And I see you have uh, a couple of this week in startups videos you've created. Oh no! Oh no! Exactly. I'm coming well go. prepared, Jason. Uh-oh. Yeah, so, so what you're seeing here is like, is the homepage, as Jason just described it, is a traditional creator tool, as, as people who probably have seen it before. And I'm going to go to the, the avatars out here in the left-hand side. And what we're seeing now is a mosaic of all the different avatars that you can use to create your videos. Um, oh, so wow. if I scroll down here, there's around 150 avatars. They come in all different um, ages, genders, ethnicities. There's are these computer-generated or are they um, made by... Uh like they're having partly, uh, partly computer generated they're based on real actors but oh, um, but but they are sort of ai generated um, and this does so a lot of bunch of there you got a hipster you got a four person not a four man we have to use gender neutral language <laughs> uh i can see you have like a construction worker uh you know a police officer, officer type thing doctors so, or a fitness person and you got all the colors of the rainbow genders body sizes so you can be super woke or super diverse here you can pick whatever you like or exactly, you can actually exactly. can do it i'm assuming by region so uh you know not to uh make light of it but it might actually the information might be received better by somebody who's wearing clothes or has the accent of uh, a japanese person in japan rather or an indian person in india correct it's funny you say that because uh, we have a lot of customers in Japan. We work with a very high percentage of like the 100 biggest companies there. And actually what a lot of those, them use it for is to create partner materials for mm. English speaking or other countries speak different ah. languages. It's a huge line of business for them, right? Because it really just breaks down the communication barriers. And that goes both ways. We also work with North American companies who want mm. to produce materials for the Japanese market. Um, and this comes in really handy, not just on like the avatar appearance, of course, but also with, you know, the 120 languages that's, um, so that's a I mean, this actually makes a lot of sense. English is the world's language now. 
uh, or, yeah. or the language of international business. Um, and I'm not saying American, I'm saying English, right? Uh, Queen's English here. And so if you're a Japanese company, and you want to reach the maximum number of partners, if it's in English, and the person is localized, yeah, that's going to be a lot better than perhaps a Japanese person with English as a second language who's a rep locally in that market, yep. uh, whose English might be whatever an eight at 0.5 out of 10. Here, you're going to have a 10 out of 10. Exactly. And that's fantastic. My Japanese, by the way, is a zero out of 10. <laughs> Minus two again, Jerry. Yeah. But what we're also seeing with this, right, is like, you know, let's say you have a lot of technical documentation, integration mm. videos, which can be a lot of screen recordings and voiceovers and things like that, right? It's again, just like, and it's so moldable because you just make it in Japanese and then you could go mm. back and edit it every time. You don't have to go to the whole, through the whole voiceover actor um, kind of process, right? But if we have to make a video here, let's say I pick Alex, got to click mm. on her. She's one of our yeah, most Alex. popular avatars. You've probably seen her before. Then we get set into the video creation screen here, which is where the magic happens. So what I'm seeing here is a thumbnail of uh, Alex, who's our avatar. Yep. And then under her, there's the script box. And the script box is really where you just type in the script of your video, right? It, it's mm. kind of like that easy. So let me just try and type in something here. I'll type in, hello, Jason. This is a test from Alex. And right. what you'll see here is that we automatically detect that you're typing in English. So there's this little drop down here, which says English US professional. Mm -hmm. I can click on this drop down and then I'll get a bunch of different types of voice. That could just be the style, but it's also different accents. So let's say you want a British voice or an Irish, ah. you want Australian, whatever. You can Fantastic. select whatever you prefer. Yep. Um, so that's sort of like how, how that works. But then the magic here is that you can type in any, any language, right? So I'm Danish originally. For anyone mm -hmm. wondering where my accent is from, let me type in. I am now uh, Alex. As you'll see here, it just automatically detects that I'm typing in Danish. Yeah, sure. Now the flag has changed to Danish and so on and so forth, right? So you just put in whatever language that you want the video to come out in. And um, that's really as simple uh, as it is. Mm. Now in this text box, we can do a bunch of other things as well. If I want to have um, uh, a different gesture, for example, let's say at some point in the video, I want the avatar to hit not yes or raise the eyebrows. I can put that in with this little kind wow. of pill. How many gestures mm -hmm. are there? There's five right now. It's a little beta oh, okay. feature, but uh, but we're adding a lot uh, in, in the coming ones. Are the gestures made by computer or did you have the actors actually make the gesture and then? They're made by computers. Um, so ah. that's a big part of the fundamental tech platform um, that we're switching into is essentially that the avatars become much more live, right? They look much more realistic. They can do much more things. Yeah, disappointed in there? Like to just a completely, I'm just completely <laughs> disappointed in you. You didn't get the answer <laughs> correct. You can, have, this, you can have a lot of fun with the gestures. like. Um, putting like yeah. your hand on your wh what is that like face palm face, face just palm. do total face palm oh my god yeah. and and this is just not to be dystopian but um in a black mirror episode this is how you'll be laid off <laughs> tech layoffs <laughs> personalized because i assume you can personalize these too like i could put in you know percentage first name percentage and have like a custom one made for each employee i'm laying off or giving a raise to Exactly. So I just put in a variable here for those who can't ah, see. I just right click and put in yeah, a variable. Sure. So you can put in like first name. You'll be familiar yeah. with this from like mail merge and similar styles of, of things, <laughs> right? And what I'm doing now is I'm creating a template where you can also switch out the background images, videos, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what happens from here on is like I've typed in some text. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's a script of my video. But then, you know, one of the big unlocks and the thing that we discovered early on was for this to really be something that could be used by anyone. You have to be able to make a video end to end in here, right? So we have mm -hmm. this sort of tool that sits around it. And it'll be, you know, something like a PowerPoint or a camera. I'm just going to open up a template here. So we put in, 
know, your text, you're going to upload your own custom funds. Right. Yeah. So you're you have your the host on the left and then just right behind them, like they're a weather caster or, a, you know, a, a weather person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You could have you the could video behind them, you know, saying, hey, welcome to your first day at Stripe. Uh, today, we're going to go over our uh, HR policies. Here's what you need to know. And, and the HR policies could be done here. And like you're saying, Hey, you know, we have a new HR policy, we're going to add June 19th as a holiday, and we're going to take away one of the floating holidays. And instead of having two floating holidays, you now have one, boom, you just put it in there. Every new person understands that. And you could send that just that one slide to everybody in the company announcing like we did, hey, June 19th is now our, you know, whatever ninth official holiday of the year, you have one floating holiday to choose from. Exactly. For many knowledge workers, over 50% of their day, it's filled with doing tedious, repeatable tasks. We all know this. They're technically working, right? But are they being productive? Are they driving the business forward in any way? Or is it busy work? Imagine if you recaptured 50% of that person's time. Think about all the things you could redeploy and all the projects you could finish. Well, now you can with Coda. Coda is the all-in-one platform that changes how your teams work together. And they just introduced an AI-powered assistant that is brilliant. It will take the busy out of work. With Coda, your workflows and content, they're already living in one place, right? But Coda AI, this will help your team focus on the highest priority work, even as your priorities shift, which in startups and dynamic bigger companies, they always do. This is going to empower you to prioritize work that's long-term and strategic that pays off massively. That's what we should be doing with AI. And you need to get your entire team on Coda and using Coda AI every single day. Like me, if you're watching the video right now, just look at this powerful and awesome jtrading.com website. This was built to track all my stock trades and I am crushing it. I was able to do this and track all these stock prices live and build tables and formulas all in Coda. Get a competitive advantage. If you want an assistant that lets you get back to work and does all the busy work, get started with Coda AI today for free. How's that for a price? Head over to coda.io slash twist, coda.io slash twist to get started for free. So you have like all the creative tools that you need here that you could have in PowerPoint or Canvas and like that. You can record your screen. Mm -hmm. You can use Shutterstock assets, do different shapes, all this sort of stuff. Love it. Where I think this is interesting, right? So I think up until now, this is like video as you know it, right? It's a smarter way of sure. training video. But what's exciting for me about not just AI video, but any kind of like generative AI tech right now is it opens up an entirely new world, right? And we're just dipping our feet in this. Right now, I think all these technologies are kind of like the first websites. They look like newspapers on the screen because mm. that's kind of what people could imagine back then, right? Today, yep. websites are very different. They have links. There's audio video content. We have news feeds that are personalized to everyone. A website is very different than a paper magazine today. Our mm. bet is that the same thing is going to happen to AI video. So right now, we just understand there's like an MP4 file, right? Mm. But we've eliminated the camera from the equation. But really, this is going to be an entirely new kind of media object moving forward. Maybe we won't even call it video in a few years. And a lot of what that I think is about is like the UX of how you create these things. So I'll give you a very simple example of how when you work with AI and you don't work with camera footage, you can do cool things. So let's say you have my script here. So it says this is the same title screen layout. In here, I want to have an animation. I want to have this like title uh, text mm. element in my video come in right here. What I'll do here is just add a marker. This mm. is marker one here. I'm going to click on my text element on the canvas. I'm going to scroll down. And I'm just going to tell the app that I want this particular element to fade in at marker number one. Mm. Pretty simple. But when I then play the video, then what's going to happen is that this text title in my video is going to They're come synced. in at the point yeah. in the script that I want it to come in. 
That in itself is, of course, I mean, that's cool. That's easier than doing it in Adobe Premiere. We have to sit with different layers and a timeline and things like that. But where this becomes really interesting, right, is if I type something in front of this, mm -hmm. then it'll just move down. So it's completely responsive, right? Right. Now imagine that you're translating the video, which is a massive headache today, right? Then French is 20% longer than German, who is a bit shorter than Japanese. So if it you are a video editor, yeah. exactly. so all of this stuff, you just translate the text. It just works in a different language. You don't really have to do anything else. In the future, you know, all this stuff, I think, will be much more personalized. Maybe it's interactive. You can talk to the avatar. I really think we're just dipping our feet in this stuff, but we're really building for a new type of media format. We're not just building to make kind of a better tool for making MP4s, right? And we're, we're dipping our feet in it here. I think this, this industry is just so, just so early. When you generate this, it just generates you an MP4 and then you would copy this into your learning management system or whatever it is. Exactly. But our bet is that over time, it'll be something different, right? And that'll probably also require a new video infrastructure where every single video might be personalized to whoever was watching it. Maybe you can just ask the avatar, hey, sorry, I didn't really understand that. Could you explain it in a different manner? We have all these yeah. amazing technologies that are false multipliers. GPT is, is an obvious one here, right? That can help you yeah. write the script. We also have that functionality. Stable Diffusion can generate the images for you. I think when you think of all these tools sort of working together in the next three to four or five years, I think it's going to be um, it's going to be absolutely amazing the things that we can we can yeah, build I mean, once we get rid of the camera. You will not need to export these videos. Eventually, they'll just live at a URL on your yeah. service or a white label URL, and then uh, you don't need to export it because that then leads to all kinds of problems if you're having to upload it to another system and then compliance. Maybe you forgot to upload something. It just puts a human into the process. And I guess your idea here is if you had all 40 uh, of the lessons to be an employee at a fast food restaurant, you could then ask it questions and just you could have this on an iPad or somewhere in the, you know, at the workstation and say, hey, remind me how to make a Big Mac or do, you know, how exactly. does, uh, what is a uh, double double animal style? And it'll just be like, oh, yeah, double double animal style and just play the video, you know, how to make a double double animal style and the person doesn't have to feel bad about not remembering and the chat GPT interface will uh, be able to interpret what they're asking. I mean, it's just exactly. yeah. Imagine you're a salesperson, you're on a call after the call, you just get a mm. two or three minute long kind of uh, feedback video, right? Because the transcript has been taken out, GPT for whatever, maybe a different tool than us has analyzed, you know, what can you do better? Talk a bit less, uh, remember to this objection, face it in this way. Like there's so many things you can do with, with this. Mm. Um, and I think it's just going to be really exciting to see what people will build once we have an API today, we have a bunch of users using that. But I think as the technology evolves, we'll really see a lot of, of, of very interesting use cases evolve. They'll just fundamentally be very different from like video as we know video today. If you think about this, a, a great demo, by the way, anything else you want to show in the demo? And for folks who are listening, uh, you can go to youtube.com slash this weekend and you can find the demo uh, of this. Yeah, episode. for sure. I mean, maybe just give you a, a, a cool real life example. This is one of our amazing customers go cardless, right? They've built the entire university using Synthesia videos. So what you're seeing on screen here is is sort of their hub for, for learning how to use go cardless as one of their mm -hmm. customers. Got and it. I mean, it's it's all the kind of this, this entire value prop we've talked about already, right? Like video is a much better way to communicate with people in 2023. Mm -hmm. With these videos, they just go back in, edit it. All these are created entirely in, 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 in the platform, right? And then they're served up by Wistia probably or something. Exactly, sure. exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's an interesting thing. I mean, if you look at Wistia's business, um, which I love, um, they do really great compliance things where you can stop for a prompt or a question or capture an email address, you know, whatever. Um, and so I think there's some great API uses there. 
amazing job. Let's sort of then level up this discussion. Uh, I know the company's high growth, you're tripling revenue year over year, you raised about 100, just over 150 million, got 200 employees doing this or so. I, um, and so let me ask you a question about how you think about running your own company. I have noticed I'm forcing my employees to use ChatGPT for every day, Bard, <laughs> etc. Let's say about 60% I got over the line, the other 40% uh, basically got the summer to get their butts in gear. If they don't, they're out. I'm dead serious. Like if you can't use ChatGPT for effectively, can't work for me starting September 1st. So for people hearing this, I've been pretty <laughs> gentle about it. But now it's going to be a mandate, I'm going to start having people tested on their ChatGPT four ability. Why? Because once people start using it, what I'm finding is they become maybe between 1% and 10% more effective at their job every month. If you compound those numbers at but let's call it, I don't know, 3%. That means uh, in every 3% divided, let's just say 2%. That means every 36 months, you'd be twice as good at your job. If it was 4%, you know, every 18 months, you'd be twice as good at your job. Um, and that means I don't ever have to hire anybody because the pace of our growth, um, if everybody just commits to being 5% better at their job every month, they become twice as good at their job every 14 months. So do you think you can just keep growing your company without hiring people and just making the existing team more effective through using these tools? I mean, we use GPT everywhere. I'm, I think I'm, I'm very aligned with you. It's, it's something that I, I, was, I don't think there's any function that can't use GPT. We use it in the most random of tasks. Like, I'll give you just one fun example, right? But when you have to record your avatar, that's like a four or five minute process. You speak to the camera. We want to get like a nice variation of things that you say. We use GPT-4 to just generate infinite amount of scripts, right? Otherwise, someone would have to sit down, write a different script for every single person. Now we get a, a great variety of what people are reading out to the camera, which is great for our, our algorithms. I think for us, I mean, we'll continue to grow the team. I think people still want to talk to a salesperson. I think in our case, R&D, we do very fundamental R&D here, right? So we, we publish mm -hmm. papers. We have a team of around 40, 45, primarily PhDs, solving some really hard things here. And we'll need more headcount to do that. GPT-4 is not going to do that yet. I really see it more as just kind of like up-leveling everyone. Um, I don't think we'll stop hiring people because of, of GPT-4, but I definitely think it changes the shape of a lot of functions, right? Um, and yeah, I but think when you think about it, if you have 40 people in the development team, how much better are your developers get? You have how many developer, how many engineers you got ballpark? 80, I think. Okay, so if you got 80 engineers, how much better did they get this year using Copilot? Would you guess if you had to guess on average, how, how much more effective are they at writing code? Probably 20 30%. Okay, like we'll that, go right? with 20. It. It means you hired eight uh, that means 20% of 80, you hired 16 people. Absolutely. I mean, and then do you think this is accelerating, staying the same or slowing down? Do you think the gains in 2024 will be faster? Or do you think it'll be 20% in 2024? Do you think it'll be 40% or 10% if you had to guess one of those three numbers? 10, 20, or 30? 30, I think. I mean, I think exactly. there's, no, there's no doubt that all the technologies are just still incredibly early, right? So they're accelerating. So that means 100%. next year, you got a whatever it is 96, we'll round it up to 100 developers. And you think it's gonna get 30%. Better. That means you're hiring 30 new developers next year, <laughs> without having them. This is the profound thing. When I walk people through this, and I reflect back to founders, what they're telling me, 
I think the obvious thing to do is to focus on the productivity of the existing team. Because when you add people, it doesn't make an organization faster. It actually slows it down because you got to onboard those people at culture, this and that. I think companies, the really great companies are going to focus on individual performance, getting those 30% gains, 10%, 20% gains, whatever it is, consistently for the next three or four years and not add headcount. And it's completely doable. Um, and it just requires a brain shift of writing a job rec versus and doing a search. What does that typically take? 30 days, 60 days, you know, probably 60 days worth of time, and probably four weeks of effort, right? Uh, Definitely. I mean, that's a I, lot I more than making a just, you know, doing some professional development with existing people in my mind. Yeah, for sure. I think the way we think about it is, I think we've always been very conservative on hiring. So we run a, a very, mm -hmm. very sustainable business and I'm obsessed with how much revenue do we bring in per employee as a yes. kind of a metric for like how, how much are we leaning forward into growth? And I think especially if you compare that kind of number to what's the average salary, for me, that's, that's a great benchmark for like how mm. out of touch with reality you are. Um, when we started the company, we found the company, we've always run the company like a business. Um, I think there's a big problem in Silicon Valley with people with, with like overhiring. I think obviously now that that story is very different, but in 2021, right, it was just it was just crazy. I mean, looking stupid. back at, at the at, at companies hiring 600 engineers in one year and thinking that that's going to make you more productive, you're probably way better off just sticking with 30 people, right? So I think Absolutely. I think the productivity yeah. question is is very good. And I think there's the best companies going to be the ones who utilize these tools, not just as developers, but in customer support, in content marketing, in Every single facet of the business, right? I mean, that's these what you're doing. Your your literal the purpose of your tool is to not have to hire an AV production company. Yeah. And the fact is, you know, people used to hire a production company to do even the most you know short video. And now this, you literally had to have a studio in your office. Like people would build a broadcast studio for a quarter million dollars at Yahoo. Yeah. They actually they had probably a ten million dollar broadcast studio, so that their CEO. So Marissa or before her, whoever could then address the entire company. And they said, yeah, you know, we have this $10 million studio. We do Yahoo finance every day. The, the CEO or whoever can use this to talk to a thousand people to 10,000 people. And now it's like, or they could turn on zoom. And for $19.95 a month, they could talk to everybody. And I'll tell you, I think if you, one of the stories we talk a lot about in, uh, in Synthesia, right? Is we go even further back. Let's say we go back to like the 1960s, 70s, something like that, right? Producing text was literally someone's job. Most people did not go to work and yeah. type out a lot of things, right? You would have a secretary who would like write out things. You had copywriters. Yeah. And if you look at today, like writing is a part of every single white collar job, right? There's not a job yes. where you're not like doing some sort of writing. And that's just normal now. We don't really think about that because, you know, why would mm. you not? I think it's going to be the same for video content, right? In 10 years, I think just as everyone today writes things all the time, everyone will creating video content all the time. The reason we're writing is because it's the only really truly scalable way of communicating with one another, right? It's really easy writing on a keyboard. But as it becomes as easy to create audio, video, maybe even imagery, I think we'll just really see a lift in how we communicate. We already see this to some extent, right? Look at TikTok, for example. It's like the interface is almost only video. You're literally just scrolling through videos. There's almost no text left in the interface, which is very different from like a Facebook, right? Where it's all about text and Instagram is maybe halfway text, halfway images. So I think if you just look at history and kind of you know, the trajectory of how we communicate, it's always about being more visual, more interactive. And these technologies are going to be the things that truly unlock this at scale. And, and I think that's, that's the really exciting part for me, right? It's just 
you know, 10 years, everyone will be creating video as part of whatever job that they're in. Yeah, it's amazing. When you're selling to B2B buyers, you really need to get your pitch in front of decision makers, the people who control the purse strings at a business. Why? The upper level execs, they're the ones who eventually make the purchasing decision. At some point, you need to have the CFO, the VP of ops, the CTO, the CEO, the president themselves approving any kind of big spend. But here's a problem. How do you find those people, especially on social media? You don't unless you use LinkedIn. And LinkedIn is about to hit a billion users, 930 million members. In that 930 million members are 180 million senior level executives. And they don't want you to know this, but there's 10 million C-level executives like me on there. Those are the ones you need to build consensus with to get your product integrated into these companies. They have the purchasing power and LinkedIn ads is specifically meant for B2B marketers. No other platform can offer you these people and all the data inside of LinkedIn exists only there and nowhere else. You want to be where business is done. LinkedIn equals business, business equals LinkedIn. It's that simple. Whenever we post content on LinkedIn, we get really thoughtful responses from business people. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a hundy, a hundred dollar credit on your next campaign from your pal Cal and the fine people over at LinkedIn. Go to linkedin.com slash next unicorn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash next unicorn terms and conditions apply because hey, they're giving you a hundy. I'm curious when you look at this technology as a technologist who's been grinding at this for you know, getting close to a decade. Um, and I mentioned at the top of the show, it's, uh, it's a dual fate technology. There's a group of people who believe this could uh, lead to massive job destruction at a pace in which we will not replace jobs. Uh, you and I just had this conversation about how efficient, more efficient humans can be. We both yeah. put it at 30% a year. I'm, I think we're exactly in sync. And when I had Aaron Levy, Brian Chesky, and Reed Hoffman, I asked them how much on average are people becoming uh, more efficient already? They actually put the number at 20 to 40%, either 20, 30, or 40. I think they two of them picked 30 and one of them picked 20. Uh, and you and I just picked 20 or 30, and I picked 30. So let's put the number at 30% a year. Uh, that means everybody doubles their productivity every two years. So are you in the camp that let's just start with jobs, not Terminator, and it's the end of humanity? Let's just talk about jobs in the in you're in Europe, I'm in the United States, Europe's got a very protectionist attitude towards uh, employment, pretty hard to fire sure. people and uh, EU's, you know, really concerned about AI. Jobs are going to uh, be eliminated at a massive rate. Your technology eliminates the need for camera operators, um, a studio, a location, uh, translators. I mean, dozens. And I mean, if you're if you keep succeeding at this rate, you will eliminate millions of jobs just with your own piece of software. So do you are you concerned that those jobs will not get refilled are you in the camp of we will have universal basic income this is going to be a tragedy uh, and in the dual fate uh this is going to be uh cause riots in the street because people are going to be 30 percent unemployed <laughs> or are you in the camp of humans uh are creative beings and just like podcasting and being an influencer uh or uh being a podcast producer whatever jobs didn't exist previously will now exist. And so humans will find something to do with their time. Where do you land? I'm definitely Sorry more for the, the long winded questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I, I'm definitely in the latter camp. I think in 10 years, being a camera operator is, is, is probably not like, um, you know, the most desirable industry or job to be in. 
But I think what can easily be missed here is also the kind of expectations of what, what uh, in, in my world of communications, right? So it's like, okay, all these people who are doing all this, this content today, they'll be disrupted to some extent. But I think, you know, the expectation would just be that everything is video in 10 years. So we will all need to be able to produce video content. Um, I still also think that there's going to be, I think, human creativity. I think the absolute best films, uh, music, like whatever in, in the creative sphere that you're kind of doing, right? I think that's not just about production. That's very much what we are focused on. I think a lot of these tools are today. Um, there's already lots of people who make video content. There's already lots of people who make music, right? But it's still only like a very small percentage of those people who really make it to, to the top. And I don't think that's because they have better production tools. I think that's about creativity, understanding cultural trends, um, remixing things that haven't been remixed before. I think that's like the pace of AI right now. It's, it's, it's hard to claim that it's never going to be like as creative as, as humans will be. But um, I definitely think that uh, this is about lifting all boats and ultimately um, making everyone more productive. But of course, there's going to be job disruption. It would be, you know, we don't have, we're not people making, uh, we don't have that many blacksmiths anymore after horses got replaced by cars. The typing pool you cameras. referenced earlier is gone. Uh, <laughs> there's also exactly. no more horses and buggies. And we don't have the people who clean up the horse behind the horses and buggies which was a exactly. job for humans in new york exactly. you literally had people with shovels who shoveled horse uh for a living. people had to walk with a big red flag in front of a car right when they were driving in the beginning in the early days of, ah. of cars <laughs> that was Fantastic. literally their job so, uh, all right so uh, let's go to the next one which uh you uh, have to own a bit of which is defects um how do and i'm asking just for the audience's sake if there's any mids in the audience when i ask a dumb question or a seemingly dumb basic question i'm doing it to have a open-minded conversation about that conversation not because i don't have my own views on the answer so here's the question um defakes are going to be confusing to people uh there was just an example of a fake person on twitter writing all kinds of racist stuff to create uh animosity in the united states with our original sin and the most painful part of our history here in america slavery and race relations it's the wound that you know keeps getting ripped open and guess what people want to keep ripping it open so they make fake videos uh and uh they incite racial divide or they incite divide uh with fake videos your tool perfect tool to create those uh so what is your responsibility as the ceo of a company that allows you to create fake avatars uh, or synthetic avatars uh, in combating this or do you have any responsibility and is the responsibility on the individual to not trust everything they see uh, and to be questioning how do you look at this issue i think we absolutely have a responsibility and and, and we do a lot um i think as with anything there's no one one single answer to like what can we do to alleviate this problem um I'd say I view this primarily through two lenses. One for me is as a CEO of Synthesia, how do I make sure that people are not misusing our tool? I'll talk a bit more about that. And secondly, I also spend a lot of my time with NGOs, governments, media organizations, and like what can we as society do to alleviate the misuse of these tools, right? Because no matter what I do, there's a lot of gotta be a lot of open source stuff. There'll be a lot of other players who may have less ethical standards than we do. Um, and I think a big part of this is gonna be about education as, as you uh, propose yourself. In terms of what we're doing, so for us, AI safety is incredibly important. We found the company on like an ethical framework, consent, control, collaboration. Uh, I think the first one, consent, is fairly obvious. You can't make an avatar of someone without the explicit consent. Right? So you can't just go in and upload a video of like a politician, something like that. It goes through like a KYC style process when you actually make an avatar. 
On top of that, we do very, very heavy content moderation. So we, we definitely have a view on what kind of videos you can create and what kind of videos you can't create. We have an entire team who sits with that. It's a mix of algorithms trying to figure out uh, content that we don't want to generate and also human moderators looking through content. Um, it's really hard and we're not perfect. Um, I know you've been involved with the Twitter team, so you know that moderation at scale is a very, very difficult task and no, we are creating a lot of videos every single day. For us, I think what's interesting is that we have like what we call red content, which is the content you obviously don't want, right? So like hate speech, um, you know, mm. swear words, things like that. Those things are actually sort of fairly easy to detect. Uh, where it gets much harder is in the kind of gray area content. So let's say you're creating content about cryptocurrencies, for example, right? Are you explaining yeah. how blockchain works? Or are you trying to get me to throw all my savings into a get rich kick scheme that ultimately is going to lose me all my money? Are you creating health content that's about a great diet? Or are you trying to sell me pills that promise that I'll lose 10 kilos in a week or whatever? Oh, Those, my Lord. That's what gets yeah, a lot, yeah, you have to become as the Do you feel as the platform, it's your job to police that? 100%. So we police really? that very Whoa. heavily. Yeah, okay. very heavily. So if you try to create content, even news content, we've also, uh, you can only create news content if we, if you're an enterprise client mm -hmm. and we know who you are, basically, right? So if you oh, just sign wow. up a $30 plan and you try to create content around politicians, for example, that's not going to make it through content moderation. I have to say, that's really, um, that you're really taking it seriously because if nobody in their right mind would expect Microsoft Office or Google Doc Suite or Zoho or whatever suite of totally. office and any office suite nobody would expect them to police the output of powerpoint if somebody some nazi group in the united states wanted to create a nazi powerpoint there's no way microsoft or google slides is going you know what we need to have somebody looking at the output here and when the keyword nazi comes up or white yeah. power comes up we need to get in there and stop them from using it so kudos to you i mean i think some people uh, might yeah, go ahead. I love you made that connection because that's that's what we always talk about internally. What I usually explain to people, right, is that because these content creation tools, and I think what's happening right now is that content moderation sort of traditionally has been very much at the point of distribution, right? So as you said, you make a PowerPoint about something horrible, or maybe not a PowerPoint video about mm. something horrible, and then it's up to YouTube to figure that out and take it down or Twitter or whatever. Mm. And I think what's going to happen with more and more of these AI tools is that at the point of creation, you're, we're going to monitor like what kind of content you're creating and um, and, and making sure that uh, that people are creating horrible content. Every business will, of course, be different. We've, we've decided to take a very forward-leaning approach to this. Um, you know, we work with the Fortune 100, and I have no incentive to have someone pay me $30 a month to make questionable content. And mm -hmm. I also really think that's what's right for the world, right? We can't keep this back forever, but I think right now we're clearly technically way ahead of our competitors. And I think... It's probably a good thing that we wrote it out inside in this way. And then, uh, you know, down the line, once open source libraries become good enough, people have kind of seen avatar videos before and hopefully we'll be kind of like more yeah. on guard, right? But it's a really difficult well, question. I, I and and it's, it's going to be a problem. It's not out about that. I think, Victor, you're, you're, you're taking it seriously. Um, I think most people would say, hey, we're just a tool. If people want to rob a bank with a Volvo or a Tesla or a BMW, yeah. that's their choice. Uh, it's not BMW or Volvo's uh you know concern uh it's not their responsibility but you kind of fall more into hey this is a powerful tool this is not an average tool therefore it would be as if a gun manufacturer said hey we know in i don't know whatever texas you can just walk up and buy a gun but since our guns are pretty darn powerful uh we're going to ask that uh we have your name and uh you register your gun and you get insurance for it and uh 
you sign off on this code of conduct. Now in America, that would be unconstitutional, but I'm giving an example here. That yeah. if you do sell to the public, you do have a choice of who you sell to and you might not want to the gun manufacturers have a religious crazy thing here in America where they believe everybody should be able to trade these things like, you know, uh, they're trading old comic books and they have gun shows where people just trade these things willy nilly. But, um, you know, it'd be quite refreshing if, you know, the person who sold the AR-15 or the most popular assault rifle said, hey, uh, we're only going to sell in these states. Uh, under these circumstances, and we want everybody registered, and uh, you're licensing the gun from us for 50 years. And if you transfer it, we want to know who you sold it to. And they could actually build those laws. You probably get fought, but I do think uh, being thoughtful I, I think, is important. And I actually think that, like, I find that in this industry, like most companies are thinking along those lines. Like yeah. OpenAI, of course, also doing quite a lot of moderation on like what you can make. GPT for say, which can be annoying as a user sometimes. The trade-off is UX, right? Like, and it also also is for us. Like, we also have users who complain that their videos is calling content moderation, but ultimately, it's like it's it's a trade-off, right? And I'm really happy to see that at least the most powerful technologies right now are being kind of somewhat uh, safeguarded. I think. Did you I think see that's the OpenAI? Uh, did you see the OpenAI lawsuit last week by chance? I saw that, and that's okay. going to be very interesting to see how this is going to pan out. Just to give the audience a little refresher here, OpenAI. Um, has been sued by a group of anonymous plaintiffs, individuals. Lawsuit alleges OpenAI violated privacy laws by secretly scraping 300 billion words from the internet from, quote, books, articles, websites, and posts, including personal information obtained without consent. The lawsuit is seeking $3 billion in potential damages based on a category of harmed individuals estimated to be in the millions. Plaintiffs are anonymous, but some online information about their backgrounds revealed it's uh, all of the maps, social workers, minors, uh, all ChatGPT users, 16 total plaintiffs, uh, you know, they're across the thing. Yeah. The training data is important here. Uh, it's very important. How do you look at what would be a logical and pragmatic and fair uh, way for people building language models uh, to get permission um, and for people whose content is being used to get compensation or to be able to opt in or opt out? What's your solution, Victor? I think it's a really hard question. Um, it's, been a, it's been a theme for uh, many years, right? But the kind of the, the emergence of these very, very large models, I think have changed a little bit. So if you kind of go back one year, one and a half year, whatever, let's say before ChatGPT was released and had, we had the big cultural moment around that. A lot of companies, including ourselves, were like, should we scrape data online? Should we not do it for us? We've always stayed within what we know is definitely okay, which is getting permission to every single video that we use to train our algorithms, right? That's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time to get that instead of just scraping it off the internet because we believe that that's the right thing to do. I still think that's fundamentally my kind of belief. But I think what has changed now is that these very large models, GPT style um, uh, you know, technologies. The thing with them is that they're literally impossible to create if you don't train an internet scale data. And if you train an internet scale data, it is almost like, you know, uh, it's, it's just going to be impossible to get consent from everyone. Like if you need to get per permission from every single uh, author of a tweet or a Facebook update or a blog post of that, that's not, not going to be feasible, right? I don't think I have, I don't have the answer as like how, wh what should happen here. I can tell you that from our perspective, um, we care a lot about having clean data. Um, mm. And uh, I hope that's not going to make us make it harder for us to compete in the future because we're staying within those boundaries. Right now, mm. we definitely have some set of companies who say, 
you know what, we'll ask for forgiveness down the line uh, and just, you know, scrape the internet, train our models on whatever data we can get our hands of. There's other companies who are saying, you know, we'll actually stay within the kind of boundaries where we definitely know is okay and do the hard work to get the data, both in, in time and money. For me, the most important thing as, as the founder and, and of, of Synthesia is just clarity, right? Right now, nobody has any idea of what's okay, what's not okay. And I hope that, um, that, uh, that governments around the world will unite around some sort of guidance on what should you and what should you not do, right? But I, yeah. it's a really hard question. I don't have the answer for it. Yeah, I think um, we as an industry uh, should get ahead of this. And a very simple I solution I have is robots.txt uh, is how Google decides if they're going to scrape your site, or I should say scrape. Yeah, they are scraping it. They, they scrape your site and index it. You get the benefit of getting traffic from Google, uh, but you also have the choice to opt out. There needs to be something that's not uh, binary, on or off. It should be. You can scrape the site with permission. Please ask first. Or two, you can scrape the site uh, for a minimum of $1 million per year. Or uh, you can scrape the site for $1 million a year. Or you can scrape the site for $1 million a year for $500,000 a year if you send $500,000 in referral traffic back at a minimum, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. You can... You know, you can come yeah. up with all kinds of licensing arrangements. And those licensing should be, since we have smart contract technology, easily to enforce. And so what OpenAI could do, or let's say Twitter and Reddit, Twitter could say, in order to do this, you have to go through our API and get permission. Reddit could say, you know what? You simply have to pay us $1 per user of your system per year with a minimum of a $1, $1 million commitment. Uh, and uh, it's paid by buying these tokens here put in your credit card and then put in your you know uh hash yeah. uh so they have it yeah i agree i think i think this is one of the areas where crypto is actually a really interesting uh solution um where we could i think it's a great way for computers to transact with computers right i think that's there's, there's a lot of of um of interesting things you can do with that it's also like, I'm in mean, a lot of the, you know, I spend a lot of time with regulators and I'm in involved both in the, the, the EU AI Act, which is, which is very, very restrictive and also in the UK uh, legislation. And one thing that's interesting, right, is that there's this sort of debate around, and of course, this is by the AI companies who say, look, we shouldn't, we shouldn't moderate what you use to train your models. We should moderate the outcome of those models, right? So now let's think of this as like, you could train all the world's images, but you have to make sure that if you have an image generator, for example, if you type in, you know, you know, create me this image in the style of Andy Warhol, for example. Yeah. Then you can, uh, at a prompt level, you could block and say, Andy Warhol sure. does not want to have anyone prompt yes. images in his style. Brilliant. Right? Good punch up. Yeah. yeah. I think that, or, that that's... Yeah, it was really, oh, you know what? I, just to build on yours. If you typed in Andy Warhol, it'd say, Andy Warhol photos need to be cleared uh, for, uh, you know, non-commercial use at $100 per image. For commercial yeah. use, uh, click here for your license options. And it could just be automatic where you could go buy tokens, uh, API calls, essentially. And OpenAI has this. Uh, you, know, you buy a bunch of calls. So you say, hey, listen, for this number of, you know, calls, searches, whatever, you know, just load up on your uh, Andy Warhol tokens or your Marvel tokens or your Disney tokens. And it's all for non-commercial. But yeah, if you want to make Disney characters, yeah, just buy $100 worth of tokens or 50 bucks worth of tokens and have at it. Exactly. Brilliant idea. So get at the prompt level, anything that is IP protected, we can make an IP. This is such a good idea. Is, are you the first person to, did you hear this from somebody else or did you just come up with this? 
Uh, I think I, I came up with it in one of these meetings. I think it's just the most, I think it's the most pragmatic ah. way to ensure that what, because wow. a lot of the, the, the concern from people like artists today, right? Which is the world that I'm in is like someone can just create, you know, a hundred thousand different images in the style of Banksy or Andy Wall or whatever. Mm. And this is what people are concerned about. And I think rightly so. And this to me is a very practical way that could be implemented tomorrow. I mean, OpenAI is already to some extent doing this, right? Like if you ask it about specific people it won't it won't give you an answer unless that person is a public persona uh, so i think there's something very interesting around like kind of limiting um limiting what these models can output uh to not include copyrighted works for example right so i, I feel like because i think the other solution with tokens is amazing but we all just we both know that that's going to take that's not going to be implemented in six months right that's a much bigger project to get all this stuff sort of running um, and, uh, and, and I think there's a lot of inherent issues with it. I think what's going to be interesting, especially on the tech side of things with chat GPT, right? Is, okay, so you have this travel block and you've, you publish a lot of content and that GPT has been trained on that. And, and you, you go in and you ask it, Hey, what should I see in the North Vietnam or something like that? Right. And actually mm -hmm. a lot of what is learned comes from that travel block because all of a sudden you don't need to go to the website anymore. I think that's, I don't think that the technology necessarily is there yet, but it's going to be there very soon where. Maybe you don't really need to visit that many websites, which are just text. Right? That's going to have a huge impact on those creators. Um, I again don't know what the solution is, but yeah, I think I think we're just very early. But that feels like one of the kind of inevitable things that's going to happen with, as these technologies get better and better. You have been an awesome, unexpectedly awesome guest. Well done. I'd like to have you come back on the program and maybe do an AI roundtable. Would you be open to that? Yeah, would love it. Okay, producer Nick, are you on the call? Yes. Okay, producer Nick. Victor is very smart and insightful. I'd love to pair him on one of our AI roundtables in the next 60 days. Uh, you know, maybe with Sonny and uh, just have him come on and we just wrap out uh, since he's, he's deep in this and he's got really great ideas. Everybody check out Synthesia, spelled S-N-Y-S-Y-N-T-H-E-S-I-A. Are you the dot com or dot AI? Dot I-O. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, Synthesia. And uh, maybe he's hiring, maybe he's not. I don't know. I may have convinced him to never hire again, but I think he's got some careers. His staff is watching this podcast. And go, <laughs> wow, are we going to hire people again? Or, you, or did you drink the J. Cal Kool-Aid of <laughs> just keep having earnings go up? I think this is what takes us out of the recession is uh, more, and I do. don't worry about people's jobs. I think, Victor, there's going to be 10,000 more startups that were not possible before AI that will be equally, equally, they're, they're uh, AAI companies, BAI companies. There's before AI companies and there's after AI companies. There's a whole swath of companies that are possible after AI, uh, you know, exists. Just like before Christ and after Christ. Uh, you know, things were possible agree. that weren't. All right. I mean, it's just going right. to be so much easier to build products, right? It's like... English, is the, English is the new interface. Yeah. Exactly. I totally See, this agree is with what I think very, this very is what exciting. this is what's going to scare people but should inspire them. If you speak English or any language, any human language, you're going to be able to produce videos, produce illustrations, produce incredible writing, songs, images, uh code, apps, the the verticalization and the specialization is going to be democratized and everybody's going to be, you know, let's call it maybe not a great songwriter, but an okay, an okay songwriter, a good one. Everybody's going to be able to write a good blog post, maybe not a great one, an okay one, a good one, 
eventually it may be great. But if you thought, right. hey, I have to hire a blogger to write the, this, or I have to hire a PR person to write this press release, the answer is you're not going to. Everybody in the organization is going to be able to write a press release. That doesn't mean you might have some comms expert who's going to do the strategy, but we're all leveling up. And the idea that we would sit there and worry about the ink and the hammers in the typewriter anymore is over. And exactly. I think you just have to say, listen, we took the typewriter and we threw it in the garbage and now everyone's on word processors. Okay, we took some of these jobs that were exactly. tedious I mean, and that, we got rid of them. My, my hobby is music production, right? And that's, huh. that's what I grew up being, being mm. interested in. And it's just amazing how, if you look at the shape of the music industry, right? Back mm. in 85 versus today, how it's been flattened out, talent can come from anywhere. It's about making great music less than it's about knowing the right people. Like all those things I think is going to come to the tech industry as well, right? And um, we've seen some of that over the last five years, but I think as the kind of art of coding becomes more accessible, it's like, well, you know what? Why couldn't you be this eight-person company sitting somewhere in, you know, Norway or Denmark or something like that and create something absolutely amazing? Um, and I'm very excited for that. I think I think I love technology that democratizes and enables people to do more with their time. Um, it's still going to require great ideas. You're still going to need to have a great product sense. You're still going to need to be a great songwriter, right? If you really want to build something cool, but we can just remove all the barriers um that exists to creation today right and, and that's gonna be fantastic all right you've been awesome dude thanks for giving me an hour of your time and sharing it with the this week in startups audience this week in startups audience founder fridays uh are coming and they're going to come to your city you can go to founderfridays.tech uh, i'm looking for some folks who want to uh host founder fridays it's only for founders if you're not a founder you can't come uh and uh, we just did the first one here in uh the bay area 50 people showed up. It was awesome. So this week in Startups Founder, Fridays are starting in September and we're looking for hosts. These used to be called Twist Meetups. But we'll call them Founder Fridays. We thought we'd come up with a fun brand. Every Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. after work, everybody gets together and shows what they're working on. And we'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.